0: so what's up everybody welcome to a new edition the latest edition of behind the visual where i talk to all those people responsible for creating those images and videos you see out in your world every single day i of course am your host advertising and lifestyle photographer mark hansen and today my guest is deanne davis and deanne is the is an executive art and print producer and she's also now a motivational speaker which is very cool. She's, um, she's really good. She's got a lot of insight into just life in general, on top of the fact that she is, has an understanding of print production that just basically blew my mind. So we talk a little bit about um, the difference between an art producer and a print producer. And we talk about how just saying hello to a guy evidently changed his life. And a little bit about just life in general she's living on a boat now she's been living on a boat for two years and why um, you know what that's like and how that happened and we also talked a little bit about the time she worked at a print press printing press and they printed the magazine easy rider and she had a job that she had to do to some of the quote models um, before it could go to press and be printed and put out on the stand so It had to do with um, topless models and what she had to do with them in the picture. So stay tuned for that one. Let me know uh, what you guys think about this one. Lots of cool information on this one. I think you're gonna really enjoy it. And I look forward to hearing what you guys think. So like it, thumbs up it, subscribe to it, comment on it, all that kind of stuff. And uh, look forward to hearing
1: I've been talking with a friend of mine for uh, years about doing a podcast. (laughs) We are like these two women who talk about all these female issues kind of being the first generation of women out of the the feminist movement, you know? And now that's impacted us as professionals and women and relationships and all this stuff. It's truly fascinating. Well,
0: you should do it. Everybody's got one nowadays, it seems like.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, what do you have time for, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, it all just kind of comes down to it. I try and squeeze in, if possible, you know, the equivalent of one week, uh, if possible, if I can. I enjoy it. I started off just doing it as a way just to kind of meet people and th- without having to actually go all the way to, you know, LA or New York or Chicago. And then pandemic hit and it turned out to be great because then it gave me something to do while I was sitting around the house yeah. twiddling my thumbs.
1: Are you back working
0: yet? Yeah, I've been back for actually over a year now, I guess. I mean, I started back June, July, probably of last year. Okay. Yeah. So I just came off of doing a two-day shoot Monday, Tuesday this week. And then last week I had... One or two days doing, I can't remember what I was doing, but (laughs) (laughs) I I do know I shot Monday and Tuesday of this week. And I know I shot something last week, but I'd have to go back and look and tell you what it was because I cannot remember. And then I'm going to Atlanta to shoot five days. I leave Sunday night, so I'll shoot Monday through Friday in Atlanta next week. So it's definitely I am, I'm
1: still mostly on the boat. Yeah. (laughs) which i'm like i'm like i hope i never have to go back to commuting i'm like i never want to do that are you doing are you
0: doing everything remotely like do you do do you go on shoots like did you used to go on shoots
1: i did at different agencies different agencies have different capacities like 72 and sunny is pretty interesting they have the um the art buyers do things and in other agencies the print producer does them so
0: okay it
1: it, it just depends on how the agency structure is
0: what's the Um, difference between art producer and print producer
1: so the art producer's real specialty is um, resources, right? right? Knowing who does what and what kind of look and feel there is and, and who's in and who's out. So their time is invested in in knowing who's who to go to for certain projects. I'm the person who goes to to understand the technical aspect of it, the usage needs of the images yep. and how to produce everything for actual fabrication, whether it's Aye. digital or print. So I'm the one who has all the the technical information. So you're the one and to I'm the out
0: one. if they say we need a big billboard. Exactly, you have to do. so I'm the
1: one that comes to with the aspect ratios and the resolutions and the camera sizes and the pixel sizes. And you know some of the things that I also can add to that maybe an art buyer is looking at it from a creative point of view, which I still believe print producers are creative output. A lot of places think that we're just technical, but I, I my whole life has been about telling the story in a, in a static environment you know, and how impactful right. and powerful that is. And, and you don't have to just be an art buyer to do that. So I've, I've produced thousands and thousands of outdoor bulletins. I love when I'm working with a junior art producer or art creative and they're like, they don't want to listen. And I'm like, I understand I'm not creative, but I've done 10 million of these and you've done two. So, you know, Big
0: difference. <laughs>
1: yeah, I may have something to add to the conversation. Um, but also just kind of staying in the know, printing technologies, um, standard practices. You know, uh, even like now you can do RGB printing because you have digital printing. A lot of people don't realize there's like extended extended spectrum and stuff like that. It, if you go to my um my portfolio, that's linked out in my uh, my. LinkedIn profile there's a portfolio link. Yep. In that is a document that I did called Print 101. And it's like a print roadshow document and it breaks down exactly what print producers do and like what value we can bring to the table and then it has like a whole technical glossary in the back of Whoa. it. And so it's, it's a huge document that I did.
0: Sorry about that home. Okay, I went there to pull up your your website. Okay. It should
1: be under uh I can just I can pop it into this chat too.
0: Okay. Yeah. I we might as well show it.
1: No, it's it's interesting. So here's um.
0: Is the three hundred DPI thing still a thing?
1: It's four hundred.
0: Four hundred.
1: it's, <laughs> it, it's four hundred, but it depends on what you're doing. So the DPI is based on the um, vantage point, right? So uh, it, it depends on how far away you're looking at it. So uh, each, so in sorry, that Squarespace I just sent you. There's yes. a training at the very bottom. It says resume about and then training. And if I you click might. on that training.
0: Share my screen here. I'll
1: come back to you.
0: Okay. Training down here. Okay, so if you're talking magazine, are you is that four hundred DPI kind of a thing? Yes. Okay. fine
1: art would be 400 is the new resolution if you're doing out of home it used to be 72 now it's 72 to 110 so mm-hmm. the farther away that you view something the lower the resolution is so that your eyes fill in the gaps yeah so I may, I
0: know that because i print printed something that's hanging on my wall in here and I couldn't find the original during COVID I just wanted it printed so I up it and you can tell it's kind of eh but from a distance, it looks fine. It looks great. Yeah. But a friend of mine who's a photographer came over, and the first thing he did because it's a picture of Venice, Italy, and he's his family lives in Italy. So the first thing he did was walk up and put his face right to it, and went, "What the hell?" And I was like, "You're not supposed to look at that first <laughs> <man." laughs>
1: Yeah, you. A lot of people are like, "Oh, can't you do interpolation? And can't you do this?" And it's like, you can't. You can't add information that isn't there. Yeah. Right. You can fake it but you can't add. And, and so sometimes in, in retouching what I'll do, and this is the difference between like an art buyer handling retouching or a print producer adding retouching is that I understand how it's gonna perform. Yes. So I know what to do to it to make it perform better. The other one person is just looking at it on their computer screen, and it's internally lit. You've got thousands of colors. You've got all these different ideas. So yeah. it's like I know that that CMYK printing is a muddy process. It's an additive. It's not a subtractive. Whereas RGB is a subtractive because it's internally lit. So those ah. things impact the color on the back end. Yes. Um, so that's the technical aspect that I I bring to the table.
0: <laughs> well, I need you here when I print stuff from my computer because. I've, I, I understand that, that, that that's yeah. the whole principle behind it, but it still pisses me off when I'm looking at it on my computer screen totally. and then I print it and it comes out and like, this is not the same. None of this well, is the same. Yeah. It's a little a, darker, whatever.
1: There's a section in, in this little document called square dot to round dot and what is DPI. And that kind of addresses how things, because now I'm at Netflix and they always want to do lifts from Film and they're like, but it's it's high def, and I'm like, it doesn't matter. There's still only seventy-two dots per square inch. You cannot add more dots. So that is that is the whole like.
0: Yeah. This is just
1: my whole thing. It's about elevating, educating, and inspiring people uh, to do more. So this is great. Thank you. And these are just wow. how different ways to look at, at the same kind of ideas we do over and over again. And those are all linked out with different uh, feeds on on different things.
0: Well, so. Yeah. I missed all this. Yeah. <laughs> cool Thank you. Yeah, especially for anybody considering that this is what they want to do. This would be wonderful.
1: Yeah. And at it least just, get
0: a better idea.
1: I just get so tired when all they want is like, uh, you know, 1448. So I'm like, there's so much more to telling a story. Like I, I'm a little misty eyed. I just was watching the, um, that Heineken spot that's going around this morning. I don't know if it's all hot, it. but it's, they're they're putting uh, two people together um, who come from different ideologies, and they're have they're giving them a task to put together something, and they don't realize that they're the opposite on the spectrum. One's oh. a trans person, the other one doesn't like transsexual people. They think that it it's there's something wrong with it. Right, you know, there's a feminist. And a, and a guy who thinks feminists hate men. And they pair them together to build this bar. And then after they've spent this time together building the bar, they show a video of their original interviews. So now the, it's been revealed to the other person that they already had dislike for them before they started the project. And it's like, now you have the choice. Do you want to sit at this bar and have a drink together? Or do you want to walk away? Oh, and wow. they all sit at the bar and have a drink together. And it was just like... It just it touched me. And I'm just like, this this is this is the 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 power that we have in the medium that we don't use. We're always that's peddling me. bullshit, but there's yes. like such a bigger idea and a bigger message that we can have. And that's the true art of storytelling, right? Whether it's a poem or a song or an ad, it can be a story. And that that's what like I love doing.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. And I hadn't I hadn't seen it. I think i have seen something similar to that. Somebody else did, but that's yeah, I was telling my assistant. On Tuesday, I think we were talking about, I said, if they would make some kind of college available for everybody of every, you know, economical level, economic level, then I think there would be less racism and less hatred because a lot of those people who can't afford to go to school, they're never around anybody but the people that they're surrounded by who are like them. But if you go to school... And you actually branch out a little bit instead of staying with your little group. You're going to meet, you know, a trans person or a gay person or a black person or a person from Asia, and then you understand that they're not all the same. And everybody's not. You're not. It's it's harder to hate somebody when you've actually met them and liked them, a little bit. What,
1: One thousand percent. I remember when the the Boston bombing happened, and yeah. um, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, "I wonder if they felt connected to their community." You know, I had started this movement oh, wow. a really long time ago and it was called laugh around the world. And And I didn't give it up completely, but it was like a pet project of mine. And it, it came out of, I was walking one day and this, I said, hello to this guy. And he stopped and he said, did you just say hello to me? And I said, yeah. He said, pretty girls don't say hi to me in this park. <laughs> and, and I swear to God, two weeks later, I saw him again. And he told me that he had been so depressed. He'd been considering uh, suicide. And wow. that, that moment, when I said something to him, it, it flipped a switch for him. And, and I was like, shit, if I can simply say hello to somebody and change the course of their life so that they felt connected, why wouldn't I want to do that in every aspect? So when I, I have like a personal thing that when I meet somebody, I try to look them directly in the eyes and engage them and let them know that they're seen, because I think so much as human beings, we just want to feel seen. And, and so many of us don't.
0: Yeah. You know, God, that's an amazing story. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's cool. Cause you wouldn't think, I mean, you wouldn't think just saying hi to somebody, you know, could do that. But I have heard that people, I live down in, I live in the, in the South. So I have heard that a lot, there's some New Yorkers have come down here and they were, people say hi to you all the time down here, just like, mm-hmm. Hey, as they're walking by and I say, what the hell's going on around you down, down here? So everybody's saying hello to me in New York. Nobody even looks at you much less says hello to you. As you're walking down the street, it's it's very strange. I mean, it's two totally different worlds. Although, around here saying hi is just kind of like, you might as well just kind of ignore them because you really just say hi and just keep on going. But, (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, in the big cities, you're afraid that somebody wants something from you, right? Yeah. So you shut that down, whether it's somebody who wants to scam you, take advantage of you or panhandle from you. So normally in the bigger cities, you you shut people down. But then we also get insulated. And, and I think it's very much an American thing to be in your car, be in your house, mm-hmm. be in your silo and not be connected to people. And I think that COVID really opened the door. And a lot of people realized that they had a lot of distractions, but their cups were empty. And yes. when they didn't have all those distractions, they realized those connections with the people next to them were really what filled them up. So it's I think we're going to see a lot of changes in ideology. I really hope so. I know people have gone to the extremes, but I hope we find balance. And I really hope people took the opportunity to take stock of their lives and decide if that served them. And made changes to do other, you know, people who bitched and complained and ignored the whole thing missed an opportunity to take a pause, man. And when in your life have you ever had the opportunity to take this pause?
0: Yeah. That was the one good thing was my daughters both were home and they're both older. I mean, they're like 20, well, they're 21 and 18 now, but my oldest was her senior in high school and then my my youngest was my oldest is now in her senior year of college, but she was in her junior year and they both came home and we, everybody was home. Nobody was going out and doing anything. We spent like all summer out on the patio, just like hanging out at night on the patio. And it was very cool. And it's, it's already changed. I mean, just this past summer, my wife was like, we didn't spend any time on the patio. I was like, yeah, like two nights on the patio, you know, but yeah. it was nice to not have anything to do or go anyplace place and just kind of relax and look back and try to, I guess, reassess what's important Mm -hmm. as opposed to just trying to get by every single day.
1: I am. I got to spend the last year of my dog's life with him. You know, he got diagnosed with a brain tumor and I was just like, what an amazing opportunity. I didn't have to leave him, not one day, you know? And like, we would take three hour walks. I'd be like, dude, where do you want to go today? You tell me, you know? Because when you have the chance just to let him tell you where you wanted to go, I'm like, you lead the way, buddy. I'm just here. That's cool. Hey, I I did
0: did hear that you said that When you bought the boat and got on the boat, your dog did not want to get on the boat. How did you talk your dog into getting onto the boat?
1: Dude, he he just he finally just came on. He He wouldn't come on. He would not, he was like, I was choking him trying to drag him (laughs) on the boat. He's like, he's like, I'm not getting on. And I was like, dude, I just sold everything I owned. You have to get on this fucking boat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a cool story. That whole thing you did. that, That was that was cool. Did you okay? It was that. I saw on Instagram, you have your list of your executive art, print producer, and then a motivational speaker. When did the motivational speaker part pop into it that? It
1: just started, it okay. just started.
0: It's but I, I you
1: know it's been amazing to me that um, through COVID, especially before, but especially during COVID, I had women I didn't know from all around the world reach out to me and tell me that I inspired them to live a bigger life. That they were, they were you know, a lot of women, especially middle-aged women, if they were by themselves, they thought they had to stay isolated. Yeah. And it's like you can go live a full life by yourself, you know. And there's that fear. I have so many friends who are like, oh, I can never do that. I'm like, yes, you can. Yeah. You can do anything you want to do. You just have to choose to do it. But we always feel like we need somebody else by our side to walk through things. So it's been really amazing to have these women go. Oh, I went mountain biking by myself. I went camping by myself. I bought a paddle board. And even the 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 women that I met on the road, they were like wait, you've only been on a boat two years and you're just out here by yourself, just going up the coast. And I was like, well, yeah. And they were like, holy shit. And I'm like, oh, Why is that such a big thing? You know, like you, you want to do it, go do it. Yeah. You know, not not to be reckless. You definitely need to be safe about it. But it's like, man, if I didn't do things because I was afraid, oh, that's just, that's not the existence I want. You know,
0: I think I, that's a great I message. Don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to tell my, teach both my daughters that. That they don't need to have, well, my youngest one doesn't care about boys at this, at this point. She's been so involved in sports and school, that she just doesn't have time. My oldest finally didn't get a boyfriend until like her last semester of high school. But I just try to tell them just exactly what you just said, that they don't need somebody else. They can do it on their own. And don't be afraid. I tell them all, it's like, if it scares you, but it's not going to kill you or harm you, and it's also a good opportunity, you need to go ahead and do it. You know, yeah. push yourself forward. So if it's like, oh, I have an opportunity to go to New York and work for internship or whatever for the summer, what well, scares the hell out of me to try that? But like, that's something you probably should go ahead and do to get over that fear and push yourself to do it. Now, yeah. don't go like, oh, I'm scared to do heroin, but uh, Dad said to push through <laughs> it. Like, yeah, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's
1: what we're talking about. You know, it's 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 interesting. I um and and I don't know if this is what you're planning. If, i don't know what the deal is if we're recording now or we're just getting to know each other but like i grew up uh kind of very, i grew up a very difficult childhood i had a very very uh, emotionally uh, abusive childhood and uh suffered with alcoholism and i quit drinking when i was 23 years old oh, wow. and i remember i made a promise to myself that i was no longer going to sit around and talk about the life that i wanted and then if an opportunity came i was going to take it and so i've had this motto since my 20s that if something something comes up i i do it and so like, if an opportunity presents itself, I'm like, okay, that's the door I'm walking through. And it, it has, it has been amazing. And I've, I've done things that people are like, holy shit, how could you just walk away from that or just do that? And I'm like, I, I know, I know as much as I know that I'm a woman, that I don't want to be on my deathbed going, I wish I would have done that. Yeah. And that is, that has been my motto my entire life. I don't ever want to look back with regret. I want to know that I did everything that I could to live as fully as I could.
0: I think that's smart because yeah, you hear so many stories about people saying, I wish I had gone and done this as opposed, and very rarely are they, like, I wish I hadn't done that unless you were just being an asshole to people, I guess, you yeah. know, like right? Maybe I hadn't, wish I hadn't been such an asshole to this person or that person, but in general, you don't hear people go, God, I really regret, you know, taking that trip to here or doing that thing yeah. I was asked to do. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a great way to live.
1: I don't know. I, as all I know is we've got one role on this marble. You know yeah. there might be more but all i know is that there's right. one so you know i my dad was extraordinarily religious and he was always waiting for the 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 resurrection
0: yes yes And i'm like always. so
1: you're just not going to live this life because you're waiting on the next one if i was the creator i'd be like screw you i'm not giving you another you <laughs>
0: Right? And yeah, the only time I was hoping for that to happen was when I had a lot of homework and in high school or middle school. I was like, God, please, can today be the last day on earth? i don't have to do that. Let's
1: just end it right now. I'm done. I'm good. Let's go.
0: So, okay. I saw that you went to UCLA for interior design. How did you yeah. end up being a print producer, and art producer and everything else when you went as an interior, how did you not, did you come out and do interior design or did you? No,
1: no, no. So I, um, I've been out on my own since before I graduated high school. My oh, dad kicked me out of the house cause I was 18 in February and I didn't graduate until June. So I was wow. a waitress at Sizzler. I, I, I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any plans for college. I didn't have any finances. It was just survival. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to get out of being a waitress. And a friend of mine's mother was a bill collector for a magazine called Guest Informant. And she's like, listen, I'll train you how to be a bill collector. Come and do this. So 19 years old, driving to Woodland Hills from Simi Valley, she was teaching me how to be a bill collector. And it was for a magazine. And they, most of the, the billing reconciliations had to do with disgruntled artwork. So I'd have to go talk to the customer service representatives, who were the ones who coordinated the creation of the ad, because it was all this is before the Internet. So there wow. were these magazines to tell you where to shop, where to eat and what to do when you were traveling. They, they were guest informants and there were hardbound books and little periodicals. And I was so fascinated by how the art got created. I was like, oh, I want to learn how to do this. I don't like being a bill collector. So I ended up uh, getting a job with one of our our printers at the time, and they were called a lithograph house. So that was a pre-press house where we actually made yeah. composed film. This is before the computer. Everything was done through splicing mm-hmm. CMYK plates together and burning composed film. And uh, so I was a customer service rep for them, and I really wanted to learn the computer. And right. so I went to night school at UC Santa Barbara, and I got certified in desktop publishing, and that's how I learned the fundamentals of printing. Then I wanted to get uh, on, they wouldn't, they wouldn't promote me because they didn't want to lose me. So I ended, up, <laughs> I ended up quitting and getting a job at the Jewish Federation because I couldn't get into advertising. I didn't have a college background and I didn't have, I didn't do an internship. So nobody would even look at my resume. Oh,
0: wow. So I
1: finally got an entry level job at the Jewish Federation being a uh, traffic manager is what they called them at the time. Now they're called project managers, but right. at the time I was a traffic manager. And that's really how I cut my teeth and got into advertising. And then I got my first job at BBDO working on Apple. I was there three months and BBDO resigned to Apple. And so oh. I picked it up. So I lost my job. <laughs> Second uh-huh. job was at McCann Erickson. And I, again, was a traffic manager. And there was an opening in the print department. And at that point, it was a woman named, okay. and she was as old school and as mean as they get. I mean, she would fa- flip file folders at my head and tell me I was a fucking idiot. <laughs> but she was one of <laughs> She was like, you know, cigarette hanging out of her mouth. And she had to compete with the boys because it was a it was a men industry. It was all men at the time in printing. There was no women. Wow. And um, she didn't like me because I always said yes. And she always said no. Anytime anybody came to her, she's like, no. <laughs> and I've always my whole reputation is like, I only say no when it really is no. And so right. people trust me. They don't push me. They know I'm not going to lie to them. And then that's really my first job. And as a print producer and advertising was McCann Erickson working on the in and out 3D steaming hamburgers. Oh, wow. <laughs> but because I had the technical aspect from the film house, it really gave me an advantage to most print producers who don't understand how ink lays on paper. Yeah. And that's really my skill set is color and, and printing. Um, Yeah. Long story short, that's how I got into advertising. I had to go the back way.
0: Hey, that's so all right.
1: After about 10 years in advertising, I was like, I really, I really, my passion is broken buildings. I love interior architecture. I love, I love, my dad was an electrician and I, so I learned construction growing up and I'm very handy and I've remodeled houses. So I studied wow. interior architecture. It took me eight years in night school because I was working full-time in advertising. Yeah,
0: that's right? impressive.
1: So I would do two, two or three classes a quarter uh, going two nights a week. And then on the weekends and uh, I graduated and then I found out I couldn't make as much money doing that. <laughs> <I was hoarding. laughs> I stayed in advertising.
0: Well, hopefully you learned a lot.
1: It was amazing. It was amazing. And I did practice for a couple of years. And I realized that um, working with clients, doing what I loved wasn't fun. And I think a lot of people, see, they always tell you, find out what you love and then go do, make it your living. Right. That's not always true because then it gets tortured and twisted. And then it's about somebody else's wants and needs and not your creative expression. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I'm like find something that you're good at and that makes you happy and then keep the stuff that you're passionate for for you. So you don't see
0: that. I think for me it's more of I love what I do, but I get we there are a lot of stuff I shoot. The stuff that really makes me money is the stuff that I don't like, wouldn't just go shoot on my own, probably most of the time. But so for me, it's kind of like when I go out of town or I go on vacation or even sometimes just if I have like three, four or five days doing nothing around here, I grab the camera and shoot stuff that just, I want to shoot that I would shoot for myself, That kind of helps keep it. Cause at one point there was, as long as like, I did e-com one time for like five days straight, four or five days straight for about two weeks each week. And I didn't want to see a camera. So I can see how something like that just completely takes it all out of you. And I was like, there's no, I don't ever want to have to do that again. You know, that many days in a row of any kind of e-com because it just makes it to you. don't even want to pick up the camera at all. Or so I could see how you would say, if, you know, you do that and your clients are paying your ass or whatever, you just finally, I don't like this anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I Still, like building, I still like fixing broken houses. I had a friend tell me once I needed to stop buying broken houses and dating broken men, and I'm like, Story my life, I sold on fucking potential. Well, you could probably
0: take the houses and keep doing those, maybe just get rid of the broken <laughs> men. <laughs> we, aren't I, we used, all, yeah, we're I say, Aren't
1: we all broken?
0: <laughs> yeah, there is no when somebody, when my daughter said something the other day, it was. About a normal family or a normal something. And I was just like, there is no normal. And if anybody tells you they are normal, they're completely lying because nobody's normal. I don't even know what normal is. I guess normal means very boring, nothing out of the ordinary, leave it to beaver kind of, I don't know, something that people don't actually experience and have in real life.
1: Isn't that funny? I mean, not to get too esoteric, but it always trips me out that your reality really is of your own making. And and yeah. I tell people all the time when they say, oh, you made me do this. And it's like, nobody makes you do anything, man. If you're not the one in your brain deciding how you feel, then mm-hmm. who is. And I know that it didn't happen until my mid thirties that I realized I no longer wanted to live a reactionary life and started to actually put some work into learning how to not do that. You know, and we see it over and over again when people act out and they're so aggressive and so angry, that's because they're coming from those hurt places and they're reacting, they're yeah. not deciding. Like you get to decide what kind of human you are. You don't have to react from all those broken places in yourself, you know? And and to me, that's the beauty of the journey is, is getting to that place where you realize you get to craft it and orchestrate it. And yeah. when, when you are empowered with that information, it changes everything,
0: everything. Yeah. so it's like
1: how do you how do you bestow that on people you know it's like that that those epiphany moments there's that one saying it's like well you see when you see and i used to say that all the time and one day i said it and i actually understood it and i was like oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh now <I> got it. <laughs> well yeah so it, like if people say like my daughters are talking about people saying stuff on instagram or whatever and they're mean and like what you have to think about is what's going on that makes because i've told them it's like anybody who's knocking somebody on Instagram or in real life or whatever, and they're talking shit about the other person or what's going on, you need to look at them and like, what's wrong? Because if they were happy with themselves and their lives, they're not going to give a damn that you, whatever, you went and ate 14 hamburgers, you know, for the day. They're not going to criticize you for that because it doesn't affect them. And they're happy with what's going on with them. So you got to really pay attention to that. So if you put something up and somebody says something about you, You need to look at it as there's something going on with them that it doesn't have anything to do with you. You just happen to be their outlet for whatever that happened to be at the moment.
1: Even in the workplace, right? Over and over again, we take on uh, other people's issues and try to make and deal with them or fix them or solve them. And I got to this place where I'm like, that's your work, man. That's not mine. I've done mine. Here you go. (laughs) You know, and it's like, you can keep maintaining what you feel is the right way to behave and what to do and not come down to that level. And it's like, I don't need to swim in your pond. That's your business. That's not mine. And I'm just going to keep doing me, man. And we'll figure it out. So it's the only way I know how to deal with with toxic personalities is just decide that that's not your work. That's theirs. Just give it back to them.
0: Yeah, I think you have to. Otherwise (laughs) you go crazy. You
1: you You can't you know this, like when you're young, you want everyone to like you and then you get older and you're like, not everybody's gonna like me and that's okay.
0: Yeah, i say like, that too. If don't... everybody likes you, you're not being yourself. If everybody likes you, you're being fake as hell.
1: Correct, yeah. You Because you've got to take a line somewhere that somebody's not gonna like. And yeah. I don't want everyone to like me. I only want, you know, if you don't like me, that's okay. I can still respect and work with people that I don't like. Yeah. And that that is, most people don't understand that. They're like, oh, I hate this person. I don't want to work with them. It's like, I can find something and even the most toxic person that I can learn from, right? That's There's good. something that yeah. all of us that we can look at and learn from. And you can, it's just how you choose to frame it up. So that's yeah, that's the journey, it's understanding where the lessons are.
0: <laughs> that's smart, yeah, it is. It all comes down in your perspective and how you decide to see it. Wow. sorry. <laughs> that is the ringtone <laughs> I have for a friend of mine who talks all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever, like, whenever she calls, that's what it does. <laughs> that's everybody's ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so hey, tell me, what was the first big project you worked on? Do you remember? the one? Was there something where you did it and you're like, I better not blow this?
1: Uh, you know, my first like really big uh, uh, client that I worked on was Boeing. And it was always very intimidating to me because it was a lot of men. And it was a lot of men in military and aerospace and they all had big mustaches. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it was a very misogynistic uh, team that I worked with and just kind of feeling like I was, um, because I didn't, I had my own issues with not having a college background or kind of coming up in it. And I felt like kind of backdoored my way in. And so I always felt like, they call it the imposter syndrome now. Yes, Um, But at the time there wasn't a name for it, but I definitely felt that. And i think when i successfully navigated this campaign and i knew that they didn't think that i could do it and then when i did it and they were like the 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 head um uh creative or uh, campaign manager came up to me and he said i owe you a big apology i never gave you enough credit and he goes you're really good at what you do and i think that was my first like yes yeah got this (laughs) yeah Yeah, so that, that. that was pretty amazing
0: Yeah, I would think it'd be tough. I mean, my wife is, um, she's a COO of the company that she's with. It's the Outpatient Rehab Center. And she's now COO. And it's mostly, it's now more of a mix, but it was a lot of men. And when she went in there, like the guys who ran it were all men. But she's very determined. Like my wife goes in and is like, hey, she's very type A. Let's just put it that way. So it took a while but i mean people now even like these patients who look at her as oh she's she's this little woman and she's blonde and she's pretty and they just i think they discount her from and then she starts talking and then they're like oh shit you know i mean so i would think as a woman especially in like advertising and what's like this it would definitely have been a little difficult at first until you get that reputation behind you
1: it's it's interesting that um that you just said it with your wife being pretty, that adds a whole other layer to uh, the mixed gender environment, right? And it's like, I think I always struggled with not, I didn't ever want to be seen as what I look like. I wanted to be seen for who I was, right? The whole package. And that's very difficult because men are just complimenting you or looking at you in a certain way, because you are and we're like, Yeah, but we're not just that.
0: Right? Yeah, all of these yeah, and I think if you're you a little eat, mousy eat, and nerdy looking or whatever, and you you you're not overly pretty or just kind of plain looking, they they have, probably have a little more respect for you at your job. And then if you come in and you 100%. are pretty, they probably just like, oh, she's just a pretty face, and she's probably stupid and got by on her looks her whole life, or whatever they're thinking, I guess.
1: Totally, she got that job because of how she looks. Yeah. And that is a common thing that used to be said: is that you got that job because you're pretty, and it's 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 an unfair. But, you know, I, I said this to a, a girl just the other day. I was in Catalina, took my boat with a couple of friends over there, and one of the harbor master patrol girls was a young girl. I'm like, good for you, man, because it's always men out here. I love seeing yeah. you. And she goes, man, is this your boat? This is so cool. Are you here on your own? And la 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 la. She goes, maybe I need to get more tattoos so that people see me and respect me. And I said to her, I said, honey, I said, you don't realize what power you have. They're underestimating you. You've already won. You don't have to prove what you know to anybody. You know that you know this. And if they underestimate you, then you're that much more powerful. So don't worry about it. Just keep doing you. And I just saw her light up, you know? Oh, that's like, great. As women, we feel like we have to prove our worth. Yeah. Screw it. Let them think whatever they want. It just gives you more power to observe if they don't expect it and see it coming.
0: Yeah. I did that with an assistant of mine. She was with me in Miami and it didn't really have anything to do with that. She was female or her looks, but it was for a Hispanic client and a magazine. And so we went down to Miami to shoot at this woman. Who's like this big Telemundo. I don't know what she does. I don't know if she's a news person or if she's on some show or whatever, but everybody was speaking Spanish and my assistant's full Cuban, but she looks very white. So I told her, I don't say a word they were all speaking Spanish and I was like don't say anything just listen and then if they then let me know what they say and then so she's just sitting there we're walking around looking where we're gonna set up and she comes over to me about 10 minutes later she goes they're really worried we're gonna screw their house up and that we're gonna mess something up so okay now go over there and tell them it's all gonna be okay we're, <laughs> and she went over there to talk to them and you just saw their jaws drop and they were just completely embarrassed because they thought she was like she looks very white she doesn't look like she's hispanic in any kind of way and she's full cuban and they're just yeah. blown away so i thought it was amazing so anytime you like you like you said they come in they look at you and they go oh you're pretty know, uh, and then they underestimate you and then you knock them out of the park with what you do i think that's an amazing thing to be able to do i love that
1: yeah. Yeah. And that's part of, I mean, it's all full circle on this conversation, right? You just keep doing you and don't worry about it. Yeah. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks or does or says you don't need your value. Isn't based on their perception of you.
0: Right. Okay. So you're at Netflix now.
1: You've yep. Been freelancing Netflix. again. You yeah, so you've been at
0: Netflix before <laughs> you were at where Warner Brothers in between the two at some point, is there a yeah. big difference between Netflix and Warner Brothers? and how they well,
1: operate for a hot minute but i'll okay. tell you there's a big difference between advertising agencies and entertainment
0: oh, entertainment
1: yeah? normally thinks that ad agency people can't compete i don't know there's this huge idea in entertainment that if you come from the ad world you don't understand entertainment really? and vice versa and i will tell you if you can handle advertising you can handle anything
0: <laughs> you can <laughs> I think, yeah. Anything
1: i've worked on everything from baby cereals to cat food to aerospace you know and it's like i've worked with crazy clients i've worked with great clients and um entertainment is it's a different beast, but it's it's not the workhorse that advertising is. Advertising is a workhorse. If you're a print producer in advertising, I mean, I, at one point I was the largest single print producer for direct mail in North America. I was doing wow. 32 million pieces of mail a month with 12 different format options. And I was amortizing costs over a 10th tenth, tenth of a cent. You know, I mean, it was it, it was massive program that I was handling. So it's like, if I could wow. do that, I can do anything. <laughs> you
0: know? no I was clue. like, I was going,
1: I was going across the border into Mexico doing uh, press checks and I'd have cars pick me up and it was, it was insane. It was an insane, it was for AmeriQuest mortgage. Um, so I feel kind of wow. part of the the economic fall of 2008. I- <laughs> <laughs>
0: so you helped, you helped facilitate that. Is that what you're saying?
1: Oh Yeah. Predatory lending. That was all me, man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah i it's everyone that picked up cheap houses that's my i did that so yeah, you helped um, yeah, it,
0: it, um yeah. so what's the deal with netflix where do they get do they it's all their money coming from subscriptions to be able to make these mega movie kind of things with these stars and all that kinds? Of, i mean they're starting to crank out some stuff that you know and they're winning awards and all that kind of thing and all i'm thinking is these you know if it's a movie it's like 20 40 50 100 million dollars does Netflix just have, this all that revenue come in? Is that from this people paying the monthly fees for streaming and all that kind of stuff? Or is there some other way they're making cash to pay for this?
1: You know, I don't know, and yeah. I wouldn't know, but I know that they're, they're, they kind of celebrate the idea that they're in debt
0: oh, okay. <laughs> because they're
1: investing in their own content. Okay, and they yeah. no longer want to be seen as a streaming company. They want to be seen as a studio. So they are rebranding themselves because all of their stuff is original uh, right. content. You yeah. know, I think during COVID, they were actually purchasing films because they couldn't, no one was going to the theaters. Yeah. Um, but they are all about being a studio now. They are no longer just a streaming subscription service.
0: Okay. That's their goal. Well, that makes so, sense then. Okay. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, you know, content, uh, they own it. Then they can facilitate yeah. it in third-party, sublease it out and make revenue. So it's an investment in the future, I think.
0: So with your job at Netflix now, how, what exactly are you doing over there? What kind of territory are you covering? Is it the same as last time? Because you were doing a lot of international, I think. That's what you I said. did all
1: their international titles before. I did everything for EMEA, APAC, and LATAM. So now I'm working on uh, films and series uh, for the, they call it UCAN. So it's uh, America and Canada uh, markets. Okay. So uh, same thing, just working with the creative shops and the showrunners to create key art for the project. So it's everything. I don't work on the stuff for service. That's a different department. Although we do parallel path each other on the assets. This is all like... The par- the posters, the out-of-home bulletins, uh, any of the marketing materials, that all comes out of the marketing department at Netflix.
0: Okay. So, so, say there's there's the key art for some new show that's coming out. That's shot, retouched, and all that kind of stuff. And then does it, they come to you and go, hey, here are the images we have. We need to put them on billboards, or we need to put them on Instagram, or whatever right. they're doing. Is that how that works?
1: Yep. There's a marketing plan that's put together. Um, usually you're a little bit more upstream because yeah. you know that a title is going to have marketing support. And so we actually get involved at the inception of storyboards. And they'll go okay. to creative agencies and the creative agencies like uh, Below the Line, Refinery, Art Machine. Those guys, they'll work with the showrunners and they'll pitch concepts and ideas. So then they'll award it just like an ad agency pitches on a campaign. So they'll throw in their ideas and then you'll work with a certain creative agency to explore concepts. And then you'll work through 500 rounds of concepts before you actually get to something that's locked. So, um, you know, I'm working on a few titles right now. There's something called Sex, Love, Goop with Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm also working on the final season of Narcos, which has some amazing art that's being actually hand painted.
0: When's that coming out?
1: uh november
0: okay yeah because i've watched all of them so far I'm like, all right I'm ready. yeah this I'm
1: is ready. the Marco's final blow and they're they're working with a, a street artist uh, named gustavo something and he's actually hand painting the key art so it's oh be wow amazing cool. so yeah i mean sometimes you get to work with some really really fun things uh other ones it's just like hodgepodge together so it just depends i've done everything from k-pop to uh you know my little pony so <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow okay do you have okay so when they're deciding how they're going to shoot and what they're using it for are you involved in that and do you have any say like with the photographer's going to shoot it do you go okay well i get that you've got a 32 megapixel full-frame camera over here but we need you to use the medium format camera is that you or is that his decision or her decision whoever the photographer is or is does it matter? It
1: depends on the campaign manager. Even in advertising, if they actually loop me in, it's always better if they do because then I can yeah. advise on those. So there's like um, I even put a slide in my deck called "Out uh, Photography Best Practices" and it's okay. kind of like the things that to look out for. One of the things that I can help. Sometimes you know, and you know this when you're working with somebody and you're so drilled down, you're not thinking about outside ideas. You're just yeah. thinking about what you're trying to accomplish. And so I'll come in and be like, hey don't shoot that grain in lens. Let's do that in post. Because if I need to scale it for out of home, that grain is going to scale with the photography. And you're now going to have something that should be small, be the size of a bus. And it's not going to be perceived the way that you want it to be. So those are things that I can kind of lend some insight to, or even like capturing things in lens versus doing them um, in post. So like uh, we had a, a scene called elite, right? And they had the whole cast on the floor and they covered them all in blood. Well, guess what? There's 12 countries I can't show blood in. So I couldn't use that art for those countries, but it would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to retouch the blood oh, out. Yeah. So it's like, it would, even though it was fun to capture it in lens, it would have been easier if we actually added that in post right. or you did two setups. Yeah, so or at least shoot it twice
0: that. or something. Or shoot it
1: twice. Yeah, there's all these different ideas, but people don't think about that when they're just doing the creative execution because they're not thinking about the implications that it might have at the end. So I'll do that too, even when we're doing, you know, for photography, when you're doing an out of home campaign, you know, you're going to have an extreme horizontal. Right. So it's like, let's shoot backplates because you don't want to shoot the talent so far away that you have the entire background. You want to be close in on their face. But then guess what? I'm not going to have enough canvas for the format. So those are things where I'm like, let's shoot some backplates so that you have that for the, And then you can impose them, you know, in, in post. So those are kind of things that a print producer will add to the conversation. So if they're smart, they'll consult me and I will save everyone a lot of headaches. If not, it's a lot of like, oh, I didn't think about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would think they would definitely want to bring you in at a time, then, especially yeah. on things like that, and especially if it's if they, anything international. My God, I mean, it sounds like you definitely know your your job there, and they could prevent a lot of uh, screw ups. I'm guessing it's
1: amazing you can have you can have violence more than beverages. Like we were doing, uh, Disenchanted, and she's holding a beer. Like more countries, she could hold the knife, but not the beer.
0: Really. <laughs> so-
1: it's just how it is. And I think that's because it was cartoons. Cartoons uh, appeal to children. Yes. You have to be very careful with what you, you're messaging to children. So it's okay like to
0: tell your child you can go stab mommy or daddy, but don't have a drink with them.
1: <laughs> no, it's so funny. Like even in Korea, you can't show blood if it's red, but you could show it if it's brown. Don't know why. That's just how it is.
0: <laughs> so just... Okay. So brown blood's okay. Red blood, not. So... Yeah,
1: we are doing zombies, and we had to make all the blood black, or that's why times so you see the blood is black or brown and not red because it it's a violation. Wow, <laughs> interesting. Who knows? Okay. Learning yeah. a lot today, Mark. <laughs> yeah,
0: I am. This is good. I like this. This is very cool. So you've been on your boat for two years.
1: Two years. Yeah. Yeah. Was
0: that a whole how long did it take you to really get used to and get comfortable with being on the boat full time?
1: I was seasick for a couple months. And I think it took about six to nine months before I really kind of got a a workflow. And like, it it sounds so silly right now, but I'm I'm having issues with my stove. So the stove is powered by compressed natural gas that are in these like scuba tanks, right? Nobody's refilling the tanks anymore. So I no longer in a three weeks i'm going to run out of gas and i can't find anywhere to refill these tanks so that means i need to either add propane which has its old set of issues or rewire the boat for electrical because i'm only on a 30 amp service so it can't support an induction oven so it's just like nothing's easy on a boat these things were made exactly as they're supposed to be and if you alter them it's not easy and so an older boat has its own set of issues that i'm i'm i have no solution right now but i'll year's eventually... your boat it's 65.
0: it was made in 65. yeah yeah That's cool, she's man. um
1: she's i mean she's amazing it's like it's a it's like a, a mid-century uh motor yacht and everything in here is, is original oh, from 1965. nice i got the original silverware the um the christening photos like everything in the boat um is still here uh, all the furniture, they didn't change anything. So I've, I've re- restored her to, she's, a, she's a very beautiful boat and it, it's, it's back in the day she's like the OG yacht, you know, before the big <laughs> super yacht, was an OG yacht.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a pretty boat. Yeah. I like that. How long did, what, so what happened with the seasickness thing? Did that just go away or did you have to do something to make it go away? Cause I'm very, no, I don't I, get seasick I, often, I but I occasionally what happened? <laughs>
1: learned how to tie up my boat better (laughs) oh
0: okay (laughs) you don't get seasick like once you're out on the water
1: oh yeah for sure but you get you get you learn kind of tricks around it like right i'm not gonna be um i just stayed in Catalina on the backside, and i was just on a single hook and so you spin a lot and so you get to where where you're sleeping you can actually kind of feel the boat moving and you're fine so you go back on land and all of a sudden when you get on land i call it land sickness so i get the reverse like i've been on this boat almost the entire COVID. So when I go out on land for any extended period of time, I still feel like I'm moving. So it's the oh, opposite. Wow. I get land sick more than I get seasick now. <laughs> but right. there's something, and you know, I, I talked to the guys here, there's there's such a huge community on the on the docks. Um, I, I can't even explain to you the camaraderie that you have with fellow boaters, but we all have this shared experience independent of one another. But um, um, there's something about floating. I don't know if being on something that isn't grounded to gravity changes your mood but there's a euphoria and a freedom that you feel when you're on your boat and i genuinely think it has to do with gravity i really really do because i don't know why it's such a change when i'm only 10 feet from shore why is it that i have this feeling that's so different when i'm on my boat and everybody who comes and spends any time on the boat goes yeah i just feel like Alive. And I'm like, I think it's the loss of gravity. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think about. So it's it's something. But there is this this feeling of being um, independent and remote and free. It's intoxicating. I, I just I don't know yeah. that I could ever go back to living on a house.
0: Wow. All right. Yeah. I like that idea. I don't know if I told yeah. my wife into it. But I like the idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can always just rent a boat. I, I think renting sailboats and going, uh I have a friend who does it every summer in, in, in the Caribbean and just goes and stays on a boat. I need some so.
0: definite lessons if I'm renting a sailboat though, because we just got one of those little catamaran crappy things at the resort that you can get and go out. And yeah. I couldn't I was great when I was going with the wind, but when I tried to go back the other way, I ended up jumping out and swimming and pulling to everybody. My entire family was on the damn thing and I'm like in the water going. Right? <laughs> I'm I'm funny, I couldn't it. Figure, yeah, and then I watch another boat go right past me. I'm like, what the hell am I doing wrong? I yeah, it's tacking,
1: it man. It's learning how to tack. It's Nothing happens fast on a sailboat, that's for sure, yeah, you yeah. know?
0: Yeah, especially um, in the water trying to pull it.
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm still learning to navigate and do certain things. Um, you know, docking in the wind is not easy. It's difficult. Yeah. It, Especially when you're like, you're, I mean, this boat's 41 feet by 14 feet. It's no small thing. Yeah, and you're wow. on a viscous surface that has tides and winds, you know? So there's all these things and just being able to read things and having it work with you, right? Like I was trying to get into a slip and the wind was pushing me. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to come around for the other side and let it push me into the slip. Why fight it? So those right. are just things you have to like pause and, and think, okay, maybe this is the easier way.
0: <laughs> okay. So,
1: well, just getting, out of it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's just, there's lots of things I know and lots of things I don't know. And, and figuring it out is kind of fun.
0: Yeah. I can right? see that. Absolutely. I think, yeah, every day is an adventure probably.
1: My first uh, time sleeping on a boat, I was on vacation with a, a guy I was dating about three and a half years ago. And we um, Airbnb'd on a boat in the Florida Keys and they oh, wow. had a kayak. We had a kayak out to the boat and it was just moored and uh did an airbnb and that's when i was like yeah this actually might be kind of cool <laughs> i think i might want to do this maybe that's how but, i start
0: off yeah d- yeah
1: just do an airbnb and see if you like it yeah, so, see if
0: i don't get too sick
1: <laughs> there's no place for your art or your beautiful cameras that's so. true
0: yeah well i could just get you know i'll just get a um yacht
1: <laughs> yeah everything yeah. i have is museum putty down like all, oh,
0: all yeah. of my stuff, oh, I bet. it's, all, yeah. it's I thought about away. that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you're constantly moving. Even here in the slip, even though you don't have tides, right. uh, the boat moves, and sometimes assholes go by way too fast, and they don't realize the wake uh, moves the boat, and things break and fall. So you got to have it all, all secured at all times. Um, and you know, getting rid of all of my stuff was another process all in itself. You know, letting go of things that you love. Yeah. Yeah yeah and i i had some anguish over some things that i got rid of but the the more i got rid of the freer i felt and last year i got rid of my car now i don't have a car and i don't oh, want wow. a car and uh i'm gonna see just how how i don't not detach but how like uh stripped down life can be and how much simpler and easy it is it just like i was trying to explain to a friend that a car we always think a car is freedom it's not there's actually a lot that it ties you to oh yeah it makes you get jobs farther away, you have friends farther away, you have things farther away, so then you spend all this time in the car. And like, I don't have that anymore. Even when I go into Netflix now, because they they have us going three days a week, I just ride my bicycle to the shuttle. And I'm like, this is great. I can ride my bicycle to the shuttle, I take the shuttle in, I don't have to get a car, so.
0: So is everybody in on the same three days or is it staggered different days?
1: Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's all the same days. So I don't know how they're going to alleviate people in the office when everyone's on the same three right, days.
0: Right. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah,
1: Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays, with Mondays and Fridays being flex. So,
0: okay. Hey, do you have a favorite project you worked on throughout your career?
1: Huh. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, no. That's fine. Oh, no.
0: That's fine. Have you traveled? Okay, I saw you travel a lot on Instagram. Is that for work or is that just for you? Does it have like shots I, of you in Italy? I travel with and-
1: nothing extensive. You know, I've yeah. gone to New York for installations. Um, Red Bull, I did a lot of uh, uh, traveling for events. You know, I lie. I love the Red Bull events more than anything. I love the Red Bull events. I ah. loved working on those. They were crazy. Um, you'd be like 2 a.m. at the local copy center getting shit done like in an Uber with like a sign sticking out of the side and like just figuring out stuff at two in the morning. You're like, oh, my God, we have to like cover this berm with some sort of like branding. How are we going to do that? So that was like, you know, on your feet thinking. So that that was super fun. Um, and being involved in those events is is fantastic so i did a lot of the flutog soap boxes and the red bull cliff diving was one of my events oh, wow! Um, so yeah that, those are fun to be involved in
0: yeah i bet all right it looks yeah. like we've got about five minutes so we hit an hour so i'm gonna ask you the last question and then if you need to run you can run what's the strangest coolest story you have or weirdest thing that's happened to you since you've started in this whole business of producing and working in advertising studios
1: the weirdest
0: Or well, just keep something thinking just about- like I, I can't believe this happened kind of a deal
1: <laughs> I keep thinking about when I very first job in uh at the pre-press lithograph house and I was doing all the easy writer in the wind magazines
0: um <laughs>
1: and All the guys would show up on their harleys for the press checks and they'd bring a six pack of beer and they got all their leather stuff on and they'd be like going through all the blue lines do you remember blue lines so you would actually make a one color blue line proof of all of the pages before you'd go to print so you'd have you'd have blue lines and color proofs for all of the pages so you'd actually flip through all of the proofs in a pagination before it would go to press and, um, really? you know, they, they'd be like, look at the tits on this one. And then they would be <laughs> asking me questions. And here it is. I'm this 20 year old girl. But I was also the one this is before computers. They had a, a non nude version of their magazine called In the Wind. So I was the one who would paint the bathing suit tops on the girls. And then you'd burn a separate plate with a fake bathing suit on them because they were topless. So
0: they were the just person. painted on. Could you, what did it, it okay, did you do a really good job of painting these on or what, what did you look at the picture yeah. and go, yeah, it's painted on?
1: No, no, you'd know it was painted on, it, but it was, it was before the computer. I remember when the, the computer came and you could do it on the computer and then some genius actually was like, why don't we shoot one with our top on and one with their top off? And then, you know.
0: Yeah, so that would make sense. Yeah. That makes
1: most sense. Yeah. yeah a lot of these were, uh, submitted photos. So oh, there really? was not- about it. people would send polaroids to their girlfriends and then they'd get in the magazine so you'd have to put bathing suit tops on all
0: of them. Uh, like, hey that's my baby in the easy rider magazine yeah, right there
1: girl. yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was probably the most um challenging as a young woman just trying to not get lost in all that yeah so, yeah mark it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you yeah you
0: too (laughs) thank you d i really appreciate it this was amazing and it happened so quick too so i'm very happy about that as well